This morning we've got a, a friend of this church, Mr. Nigel Richardson here uh, from Trinity Church in Morningside. And about seven years ago, just before we started this church, uh, I was looking for other people who had planted churches in Durban just to speak to, hear about their experience, ask questions of. And Nigel was someone I found online. So I remember sitting at <laughs> kind of a blind date, but I was sitting at Europa waiting for him to arrive, not knowing what he would look like, wearing my red carnation. And um, uh, I guess we struck up a bit of a friendship that day. And since then, um, I guess, yeah, that friendship has continued. And uh, over the last two or so years, I've been part of a church planting uh, cohort or training that Nige has done with some other guys that has been really, really helpful that we're hoping to carry on this year for some other guys in Durban and maybe beyond, we'll see. Uh, but Nige is an amazing man, uh, I think a wonderful teacher of the word, uh, and also just with someone who's got a real desire to see people meet Jesus. So I think he's going to teach and encourage us well today. But as he comes up... Um, you're going to notice that he doesn't have a Durbanite's accent. He sounds a little bit English, and that's because he did grow up in the UK. Oh, now he's coming. He doesn't want this interruption, but he, he did ministry in London for quite a few years before coming out here and doing some ministry and studies in SA, and he met a young woman from Bloemfontein who stole his heart, and they've been married for a couple of years now. Him and Bev have got three kids. And he's going to be carrying on our How We Change series today, and I think it's really going to bless him, bless us. So, Nigel, why don't you come up? Can we give him a round of applause and Thanks. some love? Thanks, man. Thanks, Grant. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Wasn't it a Colombo coffee that we had our first date? Grant, it really hurts me that you don't remember where it was, but... Oh, yeah, very good. It's the same, probably. All right. Um, it's great to be here, guys. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Let's do that. Father God, we thank you that we're here. It's not an accident that we're here. You are a God who controls everything, even the minutest parts of our lives. And uh, we thank you that we're here. And we do ask that your spirit would speak into our hearts this morning and change us that we might be more like Jesus. For his glory we pray. Amen. Um, I, actually, I was hoping to see the newest, meet the newest member of uh, Harbour City this morning, uh, August, 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 August. And um, I, I don't know if it's like when you, when you hold a baby, I don't know if you've had the privilege of doing that, I've had three, um, I, I tend not to uh, sort of hold other people's newborns. I'm too worried about breaking them or dropping them or something like that. I usually come in at about three months around there. That's fine. But um, it's amazing how small they are, right? Amazing. And uh, it's amazing to think of that, you know, that thing was me. That was me at one point trying to get bigger, right? Now this is me trying to get smaller, of course. (laughs) But do you ever think back over your life and think, how did I get here? to be like this. That was me, now this is me. What's kept you going? Well, various factors, right? There's your heart's been beating every a certain number of times a minute. Your your lungs have been taking in air certain times a, a minute. You've, but of course, one of the main reasons you are the fine specimens that you are today is because of food. You've been eating food. And um, you you've done that since you were born. In fact, before you were born, taking in your mother's nutrients... Uh, then breast milk, which amazingly has uh, antibiotics in. Amazing, isn't it? And um, then solids, craft beer, and here we, are t- here we are today, right? This is where we are. You don't remember every meal you've had in your life. 
you may remember a few great meals, uh, this one, that one, perhaps this weekend, but you've been eating since you were born. Now, let me change the question. If you are a Christian here today, this morning, when you look back over your Christian life, how is it that you have made it this far? How have you made it this far? Perhaps you can remember a time when you weren't a Christian. Uh, you were, in some senses, anti-God, perhaps, no interest in God. Something changed, right? You became a Christian, and, and here you are. And Peter would say, here you are with an internal inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. You're one of the most privileged people on earth, Peter would say. Uh, Peter, the apostle who wrote the letter that we're going to look at just now. Realize you're perhaps in on that yet. Um, you have a living relationship with the God who made you. If you sin against him tomorrow, which you will do, you can ask for forgiveness and he will forgive you. And that's not being presumptuous. That's like, uh, thanks, but, um, that's just believing what he said. Right? If you die tomorrow, and I've learned a lot this morning, thank you, Dr. Green, for that. If you die tomorrow, you will live even though you die. You are imperishable. And that's not being presumptuous either. That's just believing what God has said in the Bible. Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, and so will you. How is it that you have gone from no interest in God to being one of his people, the most privileged, imperishable people? How has that happened? Now, the big, the big answer, big picture answer to that is God came in the person of Jesus He swapped places with you on the cross. He took all of your sin on himself. He then gave you his perfect life. He rose from the dead. And when you trust him, you get that new life. That is the big picture answer, right? It's a great big picture, isn't it? But how did it happen to you? How did all that come to you? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The eternal word of God happened. The eternal word of God gave birth to you, spiritually speaking, and the eternal word of God has been growing you ever since. You might not have realized that that's the case. This has been happening, just like you won't remember every meal. Uh, You may remember some special times in the Bible. You may remember particular sermon series that Grant's done over the years. But whether you realize, realize it or not, the eternal word of God has been growing you ever since you became a Christian. The eternal word of God is how you became a Christian and now is how you grow as a Christian. It's how you've made it this far. Now, it may be if you've been in church circles for a while, you might think, oh, Bible, I've glazed over a little bit. You know, we talk about that a lot. But these verses that we're going to look at are, I think, incredibly special because they speak into our very experiences. You'll see them. Uh, they tell us how it is we come to be in this wonderful situation, if we're Christians, where we have an inheritance that will never perish all of faith, and we are part of the most privileged people in history. And importantly, they show us how our friends and family can also be a part of that. It's hugely important. What can I do to help them? And perhaps you're not a Christian uh, here today yourself. How can I make all of this stuff that I hear about Jesus true for me? How can I take that and make that true for me? So Peter, in these verses we're looking at, he says two things. He says the eternal word of God gave birth to you, and the eternal word of God is how you grow. So we look at those two things and then draw out a couple of things. So the first thing to see is the eternal word of God gave birth to you. And Peter shows this from two points of view in these verses here. So, (coughs) excuse me, 
You know when the doctor talks about coughing being one of the symptoms? Do you find like you want to cough all the time? Um, I'm, I'm fine, don't worry. <clears throat> now look, from, from two points of view, verse 22, this is 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Now that you have pr- purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. What happened when you became a Christian in verse 22? Or what would you have to do if you wanted someone else to become a Christian? Look, purify yourself by obeying the truth. But I thought it was Jesus who purified me. How does that work? Well, it's not you purifying yourself, right, getting rid of your own sin. It's, it's you accepting an offer of purification because of what Jesus has done for you. See the difference? Obeying the truth is essentially what Jesus would say is repenting and believing, turning and trusting. It's saying, yes, there is a God who rules over me. Yes, I've rebelled against him. Yes, he has died for me in my sin. And yes, I believe that. And that truth comes to you in the words of the Bible. And, and, and at some point, someone in your life showed you that truth in the Bible. They may not even have physically opened the Bible and gone like this, but they have spoken the words and the truths of the Bible, the gospel, to you, and you believe that. Um, That's from our point of view. What's happened from God's point of view? Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So from our point of view, we're hearing something, we're believing it. From God's point of view, at that moment, at that same moment, he is giving birth to you. You have been born again. Now, if ever, you know, if ever a phrase has been stolen from us, it's this phrase, born again, right? So take away that American kind of prosperity preacher with a shiny suit and telling you must be born again, because it's a really good description of what happened to us. As Christians. So it shows us being born again, it shows us how much we had to do with it. Being born is not something you do, it's something that happens to you, isn't it? It also shows the relational aspect of what's happening. God, our Father, is creating something new in the same way um, Michelle and Grant have created something new in, in baby August. Then, have I got that right? Okay, good. Everyone's looking at me like, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? Just keep going with the wrong name the whole time. Yeah, I thought I was right. In the same way that that happened, God the Father has created something new in us. We have been born again. From our side, it looks like we just made a decision. We only made that decision because God, in his mercy, had given birth to us already. How has he created life in us? Verse 23, you have been born again, not of, imper- not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. When that someone was sitting down showing you in the Bible the truth of the gospel, when your parents were teaching you the Bible as kids, Sunday school, youth, this church, whatever it is, when you open it and reading, it is like spiritual life is coming out of it and into you. That's what Peter's saying. This book we read and study every Sunday, Wednesday, whenever we meet together, is a living and enduring word of God. It's living, Peter says. Why is that? Is it just really good? You know, it's like a novel. You just can't put it down, man. And and it is good. Uh, there's some real great reading in the Bible. But it's not that. It's a living and enduring word of God 
because it was written by the Spirit of God. And not just in the writing process, in the reading as well. When someone reads the Bible, the Holy Spirit brings it to life and makes it real in the person who's reading it and studying it. And you may have had that experience before, you know, when you read in the Bible and suddenly the pennies dropped. It's, oh, wow. You know, there, therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I get it. Spirit's breathing life. Or you need that comfort faced with some of the things we've been talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not, I will not fear. I will not be in want. The Spirit brings those words to life. And that's what happened to you when you became a Christian. The Spirit of God used the words of God to breathe new life into you. And it's really important, I think, to see the two go together, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Like any of us, right? When any of us talks, actually we're using both of those things. We're using words and we're using breath, right? At right now as I speak, I'm using those two things. So if I just use words without breath, that's what would happen. If I just used breath without words, well, I'll just blow on all of you guys. And in the current climate, that's not a good thing to do, is it? So do you see, it's the same with God. When God speaks, it's breath, spirit, and words. His spirit breathes life into his words, which in turn turns people into Christians. It's, it's a little bit like that bit in, um, I don't know if you guys are Narnia fans, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you've seen that or read the book. Um, the Wicked Witch has turned Peter's army into stone, right? Including dear Mr. Tumnus. Uh, by the way, I played um, in our school production when I was young. I played Mr. Beaver. <laughs> and uh, it was before um, I had braces on my teeth. So I had these two teeth like that stuck out like that. And I remember to this day going to the teacher and saying, look, miss, I've actually got teeth that are like a beaver, you know. <laughs> it's, so it's like really good that I'm playing Mr. Beaver. And she was like, Yes, I hadn't thought of that. And, um, and only years later did I realize, no, that teacher was lying, man. She had totally thought of that. Oh, I was typecast, man. Anyway, that bit is where Mr. Tumnus, so that the whole army is frozen as stone. And you remember what happens? Lucy and Susan are in the courtyard. They're deeply upset. And uh, Aslan comes along and he breathes on Mr. Tumnus and life, he just, turns from stone into life. And he goes around and he breathes on all the statues and they turn into life. Um, that is what God did for you when you became a Christian. If you're a Christian, Jesus was taking those living and enduring words, the gospel, and he was putting them in your hearts and breathing them to life. We actually sang it just now. Let the ruins come to life in the beauty of your name. Rising from the ashes, God forever you reign. That heart of stone came alive. And even today, as we speak these words around Durban, statues come to life. It makes me feel, I don't know about you, even more grateful for what it's done, what God has done for me. And you can't have one without the other. So you, you, the word without the spirit. Well, you can actually, but like I just demonstrated, it doesn't work. It's not effective communication. So you, get, you can get professors, uh, I don't want to pick on academics, but you get professors who will spend their whole life reading the Bible, studying it, but, but perhaps they're not Christians. And there's, there's no spirit breathing life into them. And, and of course, you can get the, the flip side of that, right? Where you get ministries, they place all their emphasis, all the emphasis on the Holy Spirit and, and not on the Bible. In fact, weirdly, sometimes they work in opposition. And you say, look, we're not about intellectual, we're not about reading the Bible, we're about what God is saying now. 
um, which is a really good instinct, why right? we want to be about what God is saying now. But you see what they've done? They've separated God's word and God's spirit. Uh, they go together. And I want to just show you before we move on, how better is the new life that God makes than the old life? So verse 23 says that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The life you're living now, I'm living, is perishable. So our lives have an expiry date on it. Uh, we don't know when it is. Could be this week, could be this year, I don't know. But the life that the eternal word of God creates in us is imperishable, do you see? The living and enduring words of God, it lasts forever. And, and here's the reason, the next verse, verse 24. Um, all men, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, the quality of life that comes from the perishable seed, that is human life. What grows out of that seed is, is temporary, right? Grass withers and flowers fall. We've got um, some flowers in our garden. I asked Bev what they were the other day. Apparently they're called day lilies. So I asked, I asked my wife what they, why they're called that. She said they flower for a day. I'm like, what's the point of a flower? They're flowers for a day. That's crazy. But nevertheless, our garden is full of them. Um, and he's saying a similar thing here, that human life and human glory is like grass that withers and flowers that fall. Um, things might seem powerful and impressive in our world, but they're like grass that withers. Even our own lives, actually. Grass withers like a daylily. But compare that with the word of the Lord that stands forever. It's like an oak tree. Verse 25, the word of the Lord stands forever. So what we've been told is that the new life that the Spirit produces lasts forever. That is the greater glory that is found, eternal glory. If I die tomorrow, I will live even though I die. That is a wonderful thing. Okay. What have we seen so far? If, if you want to be a Christian, or when you became a Christian, you obeyed the word of truth. But at the same time, God's Spirit was doing that. He was giving birth to you. You were born again. And the new life you were born into is not like perishable life. It's not. It's imperishable. It lasts forever. Now what should that produce in us? Think about how you might respond to those truths. So I, I take it that sh- what that should produce in us is gratitude, first of all. Gratitude that God has done that for me. Like your physical birth, it was nothing to do with you. It was God who reached into you and gave you life. And I would say prayer for others as well. Think about that. So if it's the Spirit that makes the Bible real to people and brings new life into people, then why not ask the Spirit to do that to your friends? Why not get a list of 10 people that you love and pray through that list every week that the Spirit would bring to life uh, those people, those statues? And on top of that, of course, Bible for others. You know, often I used to think, look, let's rather just um, wait until they get more involved, wait until people get you know, a bit more committed, and then we'll bring in the Bible. But actually, Peter's saying, no, the Bible's the way people become Christians, the Spirit breathing into them, and so on. And I think one of, the, one of the things I love about your church, actually, is the way that you bring the Bible to people in a way that they understand, in a way that doesn't freak people out. I think that's fantastic. And you need to keep doing that and do that in your lives as well. Um, open the Bible, show people 
who don't know Jesus, who Jesus is in the Bible. The Bible unfreezes the statue as the Spirit breathes life. So the eternal word of God gave birth to you. Okay, so now we're Christians, right? Now we're Christians? That's okay. So now we can leave the Bible, we can move on to something else which is a bit more uh, spiritual. Peter would say, uh-uh, not exactly. Right? It's like a toddler saying, okay, now I'm born, um, I- I'm done with food. Uh, I'm going to move on to something else, like air or stones. Actually, our middle son did eat stones for a while. It was, it's actually a miracle he's still alive, I can tell you. He's 10 years old now, man. Anyway, um, so we need the Bible like we need food. So the second thing, so much quicker, the eternal word of God gave birth to you. Be grateful for that. The second thing, the eternal word of God is what makes you grow every day. So verse uh, 2 of chapter 2, look at this, the next verse. Uh, like newborn babies, here we are, it's a theme, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The way we were born as Christians is the way we grow as Christians. You've tasted that the Lord is good, right? The Spirit has shown you the Bible what Jesus has done for you. He's shown you your salvation. You've tasted that. Now grow up in that salvation by continuing to read and to eat the Word of God. It may be that you're here and you feel like, I don't know if I'm growing as a Christian. Um, I don't know if you ever think that. Uh, there's no progress in my Christian life. I feel perhaps a little bit stale at the moment. Um, perhaps even going backwards. One of the things you need to ask yourself, uh, as I ask myself, am I taking full advantage of the method God uses to grow his people? Am I taking in what God uses to grow people, the Bible? You know, if someone came to you and said, look, I don't feel well, you know, well, at this stage you would move two meters away from them, right? But if they say, Lord, I don't feel well, and you know, they look at them, you look at them and they're like, ooh, they look pretty thin as well, you know. So you say to them, when was the last time you ate? Oh, it's probably about three weeks ago. You know, I'm actually, I don't understand it. I'm feeling really weak. And a little bit ill. Okay, so you don't have to be Dr. Nathan Green to know that that guy hasn't, hasn't eaten. That's his problem. He hasn't eaten food. And I do feel a little bit like that sometimes. Um, I don't know if Grant feels so. People come to me and say, oh, you know, I really struggle in my Christian life at the moment. I feel a little bit distant from God. I feel a little bit weak as a Christian. And there can be lots of reasons for that, don't forget. But I want to at least ask them, when was the last time you ate? When was the last time you sat down with the Bible and you prayed to God the Spirit to open up your heart to, to, to read that? And they might say, oh, I haven't done that this year. All right, well, maybe that's where we need to start. If we're not growing as Christians, I think the first point of call, am I taking full advantage of the method God uses to grow people? And I'll pause here for a second because I think a lot of people just don't know where to start with the Bible. Right, it's a big book. What do I do? Just open and jump in? How does that work? Now, I'm sure if you've been here for a while under Grant's teaching, you are all biblical geniuses. Right? I know that. But just in case you're not, I want to just give you three facts. And we'll close with this. Three facts about the Bible that change how we read it. Um, the first one is something we've already spoken about, and it's this. The Bible has many writers, but only one author. 
Many writers, one author. It has over 40 writers, kings, priests, doctors, fishermen, lawyers, all kinds of people, written over I don't know how many centuries, three different con- uh, continents in three different languages. God the Spirit supervised all of that, brought it all together in an app on your phone, and that is what you read. It's exactly how God the Spirit wanted it. And so in terms of how you read it, how does that change how you read it? You read it with the writer's culture and situation in mind. We don't live in Corinth. We live in Durban. What were they going through? How is that like what we were going through? But, so we read it with that in mind. We always read it with the real author in mind, with an ear towards what he wants to say to us today. Remember, it's the living and enduring word of God. When you sit down with your coffee in the morning and you open the Bible, the God of the universe is speaking to you. That is an amazing thing. So it has many writers, but only one author. Second thing to remember, it has many books, but only one story. The Bible may seem super fragmented, and it's 66 books, but they're telling one story. It's a story with essentially four chapters. Uh, Creation, right? Creation, how God made everything perfect in his kingdom, Genesis 1 and 2. The fall, how how we spoiled everything in his kingdom, It's Genesis 3 and most of the rest of the Bible. Redemption, thirdly, how God promised a new kingdom to Abraham. That's Genesis chapter 12. How he partially fulfilled that promise in the people of Israel. That's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. It was only partial fulfillment. And so how he also prophesied a new kingdom coming. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah how that kingdom was established and then and sort of seen as Jesus walked the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how that kingdom was proclaimed in the book of Acts and in the letters, and how that kingdom, chapter 4, will be coming again as Jesus returns and establishes a new, wonderful, physical, perfect new creation. That is the story of the Bible. It's a fantastic story. You're in that story, by the way, and it's the story that all other stories find their story in. And it's the story that God's grace, God's grace to a rebellious world, bringing them back to him. Do you know that story? Do you know that you're in that story? And if you plunked yourself down anywhere in the Bible, would you be able to find yourself? Where am I in that story? You know, I grew up reading the Bible. I grew up, I became a Christian when I was four, can you believe? Um, Kind of. I mean, I did. But when I fully read the Bible, understood all the doctrines and whatever. No, I... I, I became a Christian when I was four, and I grew up reading the Bible, but it was only in my 20s when I went to a, some other church, and they did something called a Bible overview, and they did the whole Bible in about eight weeks, and it blew my mind. It, it unlocked it completely, knowing the full story and where I fit in that. So you can put yourself anywhere in the Bible and know, okay, that's where I am in the story. It's such, a, it's such a, an amazing thing. So read it in context. We have to read it in context, right? Why is it we don't sacrifice animals anymore? Other than, you know, on the bride. Um, <laughs> why, why is it okay, why is it okay to wear clothes with two different fabrics in? What difference does Jesus make to all of that? Right? It's got to know the full story. So it's many writers, only one author. Many books, but only, uh, only one story. 
it also has many characters, but only one hero. Um, that's that uh, Carly Simon song. Do you know the Carly Simon song that says, you're so vain, you probably think this song's about you. Um, I saw a tweet the other day, actually, of Sam Aubrey. He tweeted this, you're so vain, you probably think this Bible is about you. Um, it's quite clever, <clears throat> a little bit cheeky. And uh, the point he's making is actually the Bible is not about you. The Bible is for you. Absolutely. The Bible is for you, for your good, for your salvation, for your godliness. But the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus, the Savior on the cross, the King of kings on the throne. He, he said it himself, these are the scriptures that testify about me, he says. So when you read it, you've got to ask yourself, how does this bit I'm reading point me to Jesus? Where is Jesus in this? I've been reading uh, Leviticus at the moment. So I've been doing a, a Bible plan. I don't know if you wake up on New Year's Day and think, man, this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible, which is awesome until you get to about March. And then there's like Leviticus. It's like, ooh, and then there's offering and that offering and so on. But how does that speak to me? How does that speak to Jesus? So when I was reading Leviticus, I was struck. I was thinking, man, God is so serious about sin and holiness and rebellion. He is so serious about that. Man, I really need Jesus. And then, he, and then all those chapters about this sacrifice and that sacrifice and this blood and that blood, I'm so grateful for Jesus because I stand clean and holy and perfect before God because of the once-for-all sacrifice he made for me. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. You, you probably know Tim Keller's thing, right? Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar, go out into the void and so on. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father but was sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. Jesus is the true and better Moses, the true and better David, and so on and so on. But this bit at the end, he says, Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. He's saying the Bible's not about you, it's about Jesus. I don't generally like pictures of Jesus. It's a little bit weird sometimes, but I really like this one. Um, and the reason I like, I like this one is because that picture is made up of all the words of Luke's gospel. So uh, you can't see it, but if you did this, you would see all the words, all the words of Luke's gospel. And the point the the, the artist is making is this passage. You could do it with the whole Bible. The whole Bible is Jesus. Is pointing us towards Jesus. And we see the face of Jesus in the Bible. The Bible's not about me, it's about him. Um, now, I, I'm, I'm going to close now. It would be a complete fail if you went home from this talk more in love with the Bible. Right? Um, the Bible is a window through which we see Jesus and the glory of God. Imagine two people standing at a window looking at a glorious view, and the one person says, it's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? And the other one says, yeah, I think it's uh, aluminium frame, isn't it? And uh, this tint is just glorious, isn't it? You know, That doesn't make sense. Um, we don't worship the Bible. 
The Bible is a window through which we see Jesus, the glory of God and the grace of God. There's no other window to look at it through. And here's the thing. This is, let's land this here. The more we see Jesus, the grace of God, the glory of God, through the window of the Bible, the more we change to become like him. The more we grow up into our salvation, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and wickedness. How do you see the grace of God? It's in the Bible. So we read the Bible not for information, but for transformation. And we change in all kinds of ways, don't we? But I want to show you the way that Peter says we change. It's so interesting. If you looked at someone and thought, You're, that person really knows his Bible. That person really like is of the word. What would you be basing that on? Probably the way he quotes scripture all the time. Probably the way he can answer questions. You know, like in a small group, he just nails it. You know, oh, that's what we hear. Um, all those kinds of things. Listen to what Peter says. He says something different. Um, this is verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you can quote scripture, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And he, that's interesting, isn't it? So Peter says, you can tell someone who knows their Bible by how they love other people. And then he says also, um, they will get rid of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. It's not about mastering the Bible. It's about being mastered by the Bible so that you look more like Jesus and so that you love other people, serve other people, just like Jesus did for us. As you see him in the window doing that, so we do that. So if you're not a Christian here today, I, I want to suggest that you give the eternal word of God a go. Uh, read it, speak to Grant if you want resources on that. Read the word of God. And he will create, God will create new life in you as you believe it. And that new life lasts forever. That's a wonderful thing. And if you are a Christian, perhaps it's time to get back to the Bible. Uh, it is how you change. Peter says, crave the words of God. Do you ever crave the words of God? I think we do, actually. I often think we just don't realize that, that, that that's what we're craving. When we crave attention from the opposite sex, Actually, we're craving the word of God that says you are more loved and accepted than you ever knew. Um, when we crave meaning and fulfillment, actually, we're craving the word of God that says you have an inheritance that will never perish, fall or fade, set left in heaven for you. So often we don't eat what we need. We settle for air and rocks. Crave pure spiritual milk. That's how you change. The only reason you're a Christian is because the spirit of God has brought the words of God and pushed them into your life. The way you grow is exactly the same way. Spirit of God using the word of God to change you as you look in the window and you see Jesus. Remember, there's only one author, there's one story, and there's one hero. As you look at that hero through the window, you change to become more like him and you love each other and serve each other. Let's pray. Why not uh, just take a moment to reflect on some of the things we've said? Perhaps you want to make some plans in your head. How am I going to change my Bible reading habits this week if I need to? Perhaps I want to talk to someone else about that. Perhaps I need some resources. Father God, we thank you so much for your words 
and your spirit who breathes them into our, into our lives. We thank you that you have caused us to become Christians. We thank you for that. We, we, we pray for our friends and family who perhaps don't know you. We pray that we would trust, we would hold our nerve as we pray for them and we, when we speak the words of the Bible to them. And Father, we pray that we would continue to grow. We would crave your words in our hearts and lives and your spirit would take those words. And Father, we thank you for the hero of the Bible. We thank you for the window that we see him in. And Father, we pray that we would become more like him. We would change to be more like Jesus. We pray that your spirit would take his words and rub them into our hearts so that we see him. We can't imagine living for anything other than him and that we would become more like him. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, this week I was driving along and I was listening to Brendan's message from two weeks ago in community and it was, I was so struck by some of the stories that he shared about ways people in this community have served and loved one another and how people have changed through the kinds of ways we have been the community of God to one another. And I got choked up. Uh, I think I was just so struck by God's work through us to help us change and grow in our faith. I think this morning as Nigel's spoken, I really want to go home and read the Bible. You know, like he's made me want to crave and I think start to crave in a fresh way just the scriptures to know Jesus more. Um, So we'll go out with a song in a minute. But I just thought in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is God-breathed and useful. I don't think we always believe that. You know, I've been going through some of the lists of the Bible and you kind of want to skim that or skip those things. All scripture is God-breathed and useful to you and to I. And a a verse I memorized at the beginning of this year is out of Psalm 119, verse 18. It's a prayer. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And I actually just want to pray that for us. If you want to pray that along with me, that actually this week as you start to engage with the scriptures, maybe in a new way, maybe in the way you always have, but actually there'd be a faith saying, Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes to see your truth and how it's relevant for me. So you can pray whatever you want to pray, but I want to pray that over us. Um, Father, I thank you for Nigel's words and I thank you for Peter's words to us. And even now as we are on this journey of how we change, uh, I pray, Lord, for the right valuing of the scriptures. Lord, if that needs to change in us, I pray you would change that even now. I pray for the right prioritizing of the scriptures in our lives and that we would be a people who love your word, not for itself, but because of what it shows us about you. And I pray for us as a church, as we come to the Bible today, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, this week, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. Let the word come alive to us, let it speak to us, let it reveal us sin, let it reveal areas we need to change in, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through the word of God and that you would help us to change and to know and love and follow Jesus better. Amen.